As we saw in our study of the book of Job, which we just completed last week, the silence of God can be deafening. In the midst of the suffering and turmoil of his life, Job longed to hear from God. And while we don't know how long that silence lasted, we do know Job's faithful perseverance in waiting was rewarded with God breaking the silence and appearing to Job in a whirlwind to reveal his greatness as well as his grace. And centuries later from Job, another of God's servant, this time his covenant people, Israel, having suffered 70 years of exile in Babylon, having received God's promises of restoration, having returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, are now full of anticipation and eager expectation of God's promised deliverance through his anointed one, the Messiah, who they looked to come. The son of David who would usher in God's restored kingdom and his, his rule in righteousness and justice on David's throne forever. Their ears resounded with the word of the Lord from the prophet Malachi that we read, promising to usher in that great and awesome day of the Lord. The circumstances seem primed for God to break in with power and glory and might, to, to tread down the wicked and the oppressors of his people, to bring healing and righteousness and restoration to those who fear his name. They are poised to welcome the prophet Elijah, whom God promises to send and prepare, for the, prepare the people for their great redeemer and king. And then silence, not for 70 years, for four centuries, an extended time that the angel Gabriel, the last time he showed up, had told Daniel would be for a, a long period of time. He called it 77s, a time that ends up extending now for over 400 years, for four centuries the word of the Lord through the prophets would no longer come. Angels like Gabriel stopped showing up. Oh, there were times where many false prophets claimed to speak what was true, but their prophecies were false. There were false messiahs who were quickly silenced and defeated. But year after year, decade after decade, century after century, the people watched and they waited and they longed for the silence to be broken, for the Lord to speak, for his promises to be fulfilled. And then as both Matthew and Luke note in the opening words of their Gospels, in the days of Herod the Great, that king who, who was really a puppet king of the Roman Empire, reigned over Jerusalem from 37 B.C. to 4 A.D., finally the silence is broken. All four gospel writers connect the coming of, of Jesus as God's Messiah with the fulfillment of God's promises through the prophets. And all record the ministry of John the Baptist as the promised forerunner of the Lord. But only Matthew and Luke give us accounts of Jesus' miraculous birth to a young virgin in Bethlehem. And only Luke with the compassionate heart of a physician, with the precision mind of a, of a historian, and with the, the, 
detailed simplicity of a reporter weaves together in great detail the first words that break the silence and the relatively subtle but supernatural events that set in motion the fulfillment of God's promises to send his anointed one, a redeemer and a king. And Luke's purpose is very clear in the opening verses of chapter 1, which we did not read. He's writing to give an orderly account of things that Jesus accomplished so that his reader, a man named Theophilus, and also now you and me and all who have, have read his gospel over the centuries, might have certainty of these things. That we might know. And so he starts at the very beginning recording the details of two angelic appearances, two miraculous births, and, and the connection between the two as the link that brings the promises of God in the Old Covenant in the birth of John to the fulfillment of the arrival of the New Covenant in the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to look over these next couple of weeks leading up to Christmas at these, these opening two chapters of Luke. As the, as the silence of God is broken, as, as a servant of God is blessed, and as a savior of God is born. And today we're going to look particularly at the silence of God being broken. I want to just walk through this count, account we read and note several things about how God breaks the silence. First thing we see is that the silence is broken in the midst of faithful perseverance. In the midst of faithful perseverance, we're introduced to this elderly priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who was also a daughter of a priest in the line of Aaron. Now, priests in that day were not, were not called like I was called as a pastor. They, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't born and grew up and said all of a sudden, hey, I want to be a priest. I think God's calling me to, to the ministry. No, you were born into the lineage of the priesthood. And so if you were born in the priestly line of Aaron, your dad had been a priest and his dad had been a priest. And your children, if you had sons, were going to be a priest as well. And at this time, there were thousands of priests throughout Israel. And the priesthood, back in the time of David, had been divided up into 24 divisions, 24 different groups of priests, each named for one of the, one of the patriarchs of that division. And, and each of those divisions would have a, a period of time to serve at the temple in Jerusalem. Twice a year for a week at a time. So your division's time would come up and you would go as a priest to Jerusalem and you would partake in the services of the, of the temple during that time. Zechariah, we're told, was of the 8th division of Abijah. And it was evidently their time of service. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth are in Jerusalem. Now, Luke tells us a couple of things about them. They were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. You might recall similar language used about God's servant Job. And, and as we saw there, it did not mean that they never did anything wrong or that they were sinless or that they were perfect people. What it meant was that their life was characterized by a, a deep trust and a deep obedience to the Lord and to his word. In other words, they knew God's favor. Which is why it must have been particularly hard that God had not favored them with the blessing of a child. And evidently would not favor them. As Elizabeth was barren, both were beyond childbearing age. 
And again, kind of like Job, Zechariah and Elizabeth's situation would have been a source of of great disappointment and pain and maybe even confusion for them. And it would have been looked upon by those around them, maybe even family and friends, as a sign of God's disfavor. Even, uh, Even maybe punishment of some kind. Some of you have maybe known that pain. Those who have struggled with infertility, multiple miscarriages, maybe being unable to have children for one reason or another. Folks often, like that, often suffer in silence. Maybe bearing the well-intentioned comments of others or, or listening to discussions about parenting and what's going on with, with kids with a smile on their face, but grief in their heart. And Zechariah and Elizabeth knew that tension. They knew the anticipation of waiting and hoping and longing. And they knew the pain of disappointment and wondering why God delayed or even denied. Despite their faithful service. And yet, they persevere in faith. They persevere faithfully. Trusting in God's sovereignty, walking in his way, and serving according to his will. And it's in the midst of their faithful perseverance that the silence of God is broken. Not just for them, but for all of God's people in Israel. There are times in our lives when God seems silent. When it seems as if he's not speaking or not hearing, not responding. And we often experience that in times of pain or disappointment. And we don't really understand. And it's in those moments as we we cling to God's promises, as we faithfully persevere in his ways, that he often speaks anew to us by his spirit, through his word, to remind us that he is faithful, that the story is not finished, that he will do what he says he will do. And so... The second thing we see is that the silence is not only spoken into faithful perseverance, but it is broken in response to prayer. One of the highest honors of a priest was to be chosen during that time of service in the temple to actually go into the the holy place, which was just outside of the holy of holies. But only one priest would go in in the morning and one would be chosen in the evening to go in and offer to burn the incense at the altar of the incense. And that that sacrifice of incense represented the prayers of the people going up before the Lord. And only one priest would go in to do this each morning and evening. And so, so when your division was there, they would cast lots. They would basically roll the dice and say, okay, who, who is chosen for this honored service? And once you had done it, You could never be chosen again for that particular service. So it was a a once-in-a-lifetime honor to be chosen to go in and offer incense at the altar of incense. And some priests never had that opportunity. They were never chosen. Well, this is Zechariah's lucky day. That's what we would say if we were in Vegas, right? No, really, it was the Lord's decision For Zechariah to be chosen this way, for the lot to fall his way. The lot is cast, but the Lord decides, makes the decision. 
God chose Zechariah for this service. And he goes in at the appointed time. And all the people are outside praying as he goes into the altar to lift up the prayers of the people. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever been doing something with your head down or you're just focused in on it? Your eyes maybe even, even closed or zeroed in on something. And you look up suddenly and there's someone standing right there. I walked into my garage the other day from our kitchen and I, I walked out and I was doing some work and I walked out and I looked up and my neighbor was standing in the middle of my garage and he scared the bejeebas out of me. I was just like, oh my goodness. Well, Zechariah goes into the temple and he's thinking he's the only one allowed in there and suddenly he looks up to see someone standing next to the altar. And Luke says he was troubled and fear fell upon him. That's under, his understated way of saying it scared the bejeebas out of him. But not just because he was taken by surprise, but because this was an angel of the Lord. Friends, don't let the hallmark version of angels or even our, our Christianized Christmas version of angels fool you. They are not sweet little cherubs. Floating around on clouds. Which is why often the very first words out of an angel's mouth when he encounters uh, someone and comes to bring a message to someone is, do not be afraid. And that's what this angel says to Zechariah. But then he goes on to say that God has heard Zechariah's prayer. And that Elizabeth is going to have a son and that his name will be John. How appropriate for God to break his silence to a man who's likely been praying with his wife for, for most of their marriage, if not all of it. Who as a priest is now standing in the temple praying for the people of Israel that the Lord would, would hear their prayers and he, he would be faithful to his covenant with them. And God sends Gabriel to tell Zechariah, that his prayer has been answered. Now what prayer? <laughs> Was it his prayer over the years for a, for a child? Was it his prayer for Israel at that moment? Perhaps that Messiah would come soon and God would deliver his people? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. We're not told specifically, but, but the answer comes as both. He has good news of great joy for Zechariah and Elizabeth in their situation that they will have a baby. And he says, many will rejoice at his birth because something big is happening. And brothers and sisters, when God seems silent, one of the first things we are tempted to do is go silent ourselves. To stop talking to God. And yet that is precisely what we need to keep coming like the persistent widow in, in Jesus' parable and bring our needs and offer our requests and lift up our desires to him day in and day out. I know what it feels like. Sometimes we, we're constantly praying the same things over and over and we wonder, is, anything, is it making any difference? Is anything happening? We go through the same prayer requests. We go through the same, same desires in our heart. And it just doesn't seem like God is answering. But then I'm always reminded. All of a sudden, 
Someone might come up just in a conversation and say, you know, the Lord has heard, heard the prayers of his people. He's doing this in my life or he's, he's done this in this way. And we know that is true. We know it is true. God does hear our prayers. He does respond to them in the time and in the way that he knows best. And so, so if anything, Zechariah tells us, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. At just the right time, God hears the prayer of his servant, Zechariah. At just the right time, God comes in answer to the prayers of his people and he breaks the silence in answer to prayer. But Gabriel does not just reveal to Zechariah the, the gender and the name of their child. He goes on to give him a whole list of details about their son that indicate that God's silence is broken, not just in answer to prayer, but it's also broken in the fulfillment of God's promises. He tells Zechariah that John will be great before the Lord. Remember that Jesus himself would later on say that there is none greater than John the Baptist. And so the angel saying, this, this child will be great before the Lord. He says he must not drink wine or strong drink. Some think this is a reference to, to some Nazarite vow, but, the, but there are other things that are not included in here. Probably more it's just indicating that his, his zeal, his focus will be, will be solely and soberly fixed on, on the calling of the Lord. He will be filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Next week we're going to see that, that, that John leaps in Elizabeth's womb when Mary, who is now pregnant with, with our Savior, walks into the room. And then the angel makes this connection. He makes this link between the, the last time that Israel heard the voice of the Lord speak through the prophet Malachi. And he says of John, He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the obedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared can't get any more direct than that the silence is broken with God fulfilling his promise of some 400 years through the miraculous conception and birth of this little baby named John whose ministry will be one of repentance in preparing the hearts of the people for coming for the coming of the Lord one that will bring about that long-awaited and hoped-for redemption and reconciliation now, later in Jesus' ministry, after his transfiguration on the mountain where Peter, James, and John are, are there, uh, see him there with Moses and Elijah, they ask him a question as they come down from the mountain. They ask him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come before Messiah? And Jesus responds, they are right. What they said is true. Elijah does come, but he says they just missed it. For I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, and they did to him whatever they pleased. And then we're told by Matthew that his disciples understood that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. He was referring to, to John's ministry. Jesus, some 30 years after Gabriel appears to Zechariah, says, What was said about that baby 
has come true. He has come in the spirit of Elijah. He has filled the promise of my father through the prophets to come and prepare the way of the Lord, to turn the hearts of the people back to God and back to one another, which leads to the next thing that we see. God's silence is broken in the midst of faithful perseverance in response to prayer, in fulfillment of God's promises, and ultimately to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. Now, why do the people need to be prepared? Don't you think they were already prepared? They'd heard for centuries that this was going to happen. Have you ever wanted something so bad, waited for something for so long, that when you finally get it or it finally arrives, you almost can't believe it? You're not ready for it. You're like, there's no way. This can't be true. There's no way this is happening right now. This must be a mistake. It's not what I was expecting. Well, that's exactly Zechariah's response to Gabriel's news. He says, how shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Our translation kind of makes it sound like Zechariah is being kind to Elizabeth. But in reality, he is saying, I am old. She is ancient. There's no way she can give birth to a child. We'll see next week that Mary has a similar reaction. But different than Zechariah, she does not express lack of belief. She just expresses a lack of understanding of how things are going to happen. Zechariah expresses unbelief. And he wants some kind of sign so that he can know this is really going to happen. And Gabriel says, I'm your sign. An angel of the Lord telling you this in the presence of the Lord is that not sign enough? And Gabriel says, you want a sign from the sign? Well, here you go. Even though God has broken his silence for centuries to you, Zechariah, you will be silenced from saying anything about it until the day it comes true, which it will at just the right time. Imagine suddenly everything you've longed for, everything you've hoped for, You're told that it's here, it's coming to be, and you can't say a thing about it. Well, God's people are a little bit like Zechariah. They have been waiting and hoping and expecting the Messiah for so long. And though, though God has told them a great deal about what he will be like and how he will come and, and what to expect, they still will not be prepared to receive him. When he comes. John the writer of the gospel. Not John the Baptist. He says of Jesus. He came to his own. And his own did not receive him. Despite his teaching. His authority. And his miracles. During his ministry. The people wanted more signs. Just show us more. How do we know? If the president just showed up on your doorstep one day in shorts and t-shirts and he rang your doorbell and said, Hello, I'm the president. Can I come in? You might think, no way. (laughs) This is not the president. 
Might look like the president. Might sound like the president. But he just wouldn't show up unannounced. He wouldn't be dressed like that. Where's the limo? Where's the secret service? You probably wouldn't let him in thinking he's some kind of imposter. But if the secret service guy shows up a week ahead of time and says, the president is going to come through town. And he'll be over this way and he's going to stop by to see you. So you might want to get ready. I'm thinking there's going to be a little bit of house cleaning, a little bit of, uh, of, of, of fixing things up in anticipation of that visit. And that's why God breaks the silence to Zechariah and Elizabeth in the birth of their son, John. God has already prepared the people by sending the prophets with his word, by over and over calling them to repentance for their sin and, and promising his redemption and his deliverance and reign through the birth of a, of a son upon whom the, the government, upon, upon whose shoulders the government would rest, by sending them a, 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 a prophet, the greatest of them all, to speak his word. By sending a servant who would suffer for their iniquities and be led like a lamb to the slaughter. By sending them a shepherd born in Bethlehem who would be their peace. But he didn't say when. He didn't say when. And so after 400 years, he breaks the silence by sending one final Old Testament prophet. The greatest of them all to an old Old Testament priest and his barren wife who have faithfully persevered and prayed for the promises of God to be fulfilled. You see, John is, is like the secret service guy. He comes in just a little before the big guy and he says to the people, you better get ready. You better be ready. And so when John is born... The people rejoice at God's great mercy to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Their prayers have been heard. This miraculous fulfillment of, of blessing from the Lord has come. And Zechariah, in the naming of his son, suddenly gets his voice back. And when he does, as God instructs, instructed him and names him John, after being silenced for nine months, he bursts out in praise to God. For raising up a savior. And he says of his son John, as was read from his prophecy, which follows upon the birth of Jesus. He says of his son John, You will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. The silence is broken in the birth of a prophet. And 30 years later, he would burst onto the scene again as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way, preparing the way and preparing a people for the arrival of his cousin and the king of kings, the Lord Jesus. So brothers and sisters, God has spoken. God has spoken. He has broken the silence and he has spoken to us, as, as we're told in the scriptures, through his son, through the living word who became flesh and made his dwelling upon us. Made his dwelling with us. 
He came to fulfill all the promises of God to redeem us from our sin, to reconcile us to himself, to restore his kingdom in righteousness and in justice. And he came to bring the salvation and the deliverance and the victory over sin and death that God had promised all the way back in the garden after the first sin entered man's heart and corrupted all of creation. And Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection have accomplished all of that for God's people then and for God's people now. But to some degree, we still wait. We still hope. We still long for Jesus to show up again, as he said he would. And as we wait, we still feel the effects of the brokenness, the suffering, the turmoil, the toil, the silence that are our sin's legacy and Satan's last gasp before all is set aright. And so, as we wait and as we look and as we long, we are called to faithful perseverance in walking according to the God's word, trusting in God's sovereign goodness, to fervent prayer, Continually crying out to him in our need, looking to him for his promised provision. To continued hope and faith in his promises. Knowing that that he who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete that work in the day of Christ Jesus. And to prepare ourselves and to help prepare others for the day of Christ's coming. When he will come. This time in judgment, to set all things aright. And that means listening to the prophet John, who says of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It means turning from sin and trusting in Him who laid down His life so that you might live. It means being able to rejoice in all things, knowing with confident assurance that Jesus, who came to bring joy to the world, will complete that joy when he returns to bring us home with him in glory. And until then, he calls us to rejoice that the silence is broken, that Christ has come, and he will come again. Let's pray together. Father, we marvel at the way you work. Not in all the pomp and circumstances and glory and, and, uh, and ways in which we expect. But you work in the little things. Humbly coming to a priest who just happened to be on duty. And who by your sovereign grace you chose to break the silence of four centuries and welcome your son into the world. Father, keep our hearts attuned to your grace. Keep our ears attuned to your goodness and your guidance in your word. And Lord, keep our eyes and our lives attuned to the return of your son, Jesus who said nobody knows the day or time 
Next time, Lord, you will not send the secret service. You will show up. And so help us to prepare our own hearts. Help us to share the good news of great joy with others that they might be prepared to meet you in righteousness and in salvation. And we give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen.